0: Okay, when I was uh, at the University of Edinburgh, like, I don't know, a hundred million years ago, dim and distant past, my daily commute, it took me past a statue. And it's a statue that sits in the courtyard of the Divinity Faculty in Edinburgh, smack bang in the centre of the city, a statue. Now, what I want you to appreciate... Understand is that I paid this statue no attention whatsoever. Like despite the fact on a daily basis, for years I walked past the statue, I paid it no attention, no heed. And you can maybe uh, understand that. There's me every day with my backpack on and my headphones in. <laughs> and I'm not caring at all first thing in the morning about sculpture. All I'm worried about is getting to class on time for a change, not so I don't incur the lecturer's wrath also for the billionth uh, time. Okay? And pay any attention. In fact, it wasn't actually until the end of my studies in Edinburgh that I realized what this was. See, I came out uh, one morning, one afternoon into the courtyard and I saw a group of tourists and they were all taking photos of this statue and they're all like having taken selfies of themselves with this statue. And so when they cleared off, I thought, I'd better have a closer look to see what this is. And I couldn't believe what I discovered. Um, I went and have a look and this turns out, this bearded figure on top of a plinth, it was none other than Scotland's probably most famous reformer. This was a statue of John Knox. In fact, this was the world famous statue of John Knox where he's standing there and he's got his hand outstretched preaching and he's got his Bible in hand. And I couldn't believe that I'd been such an idiot, you know, such a, such a fool that I had never paid any attention to this, you know, that I was in a sense, you can, like, you can see I was so familiar with the existence of this statue, so familiar with it that I had never stopped to pay any attention to it whatsoever. Okay, now why, why am I beginning the sermon this morning like that? Not just so that you can laugh at my foolishness. No, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to turn and consider what is called, either you might know it as the priestly blessing or the, you know it as the ironic blessing. We're going to consider that this morning. And if you've been in this church for any length of time, actually, or if you've been in a church like this before reformed church presbyterian church bible teaching church then i know you're familiar with these words aren't you may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you. you you know these you know it because we use it at baptisms don't we we use it at uh, an ordination service we even sometimes use it right at the end of a service as the benediction don't we yeah i know that a lot of you are familiar with us so this is what i'm wondering have we ever paid it any attention at all really or could it be just like that statue that we are familiar with these words in Numbers chapter 6, that you and I have never, ever stopped, we've never paused, never given it any attention at all. Well, that's what we're going to do just now. That's what we're going to do this morning for our time together. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do first of all, and that is to turn back to Numbers chapter 6. So please have that portion of Scripture in front of you. I'll give you the page number again. It's page 114. Towards the end of that, it's number six from verse 22 to verse 27, that short section of scripture. So find that as we consider our first heading and our first point. And it's this. I want us to think about the forgotten fount of the blessing. Okay? You might want the forgotten source of the blessing, but let's think of it like this. The forgotten fount of the blessing. That's the that's the first place that we're going. Okay. Now, it's true, I think, of any art form, any art form under the sun, I think this is true, that the more we understand the composition, the deeper our appreciation will be. You with me on that? So, any art form, the more we understand the composition, how it's structured and composed, the deeper our appreciation will be. What's, let's go for a really obvious uh, example. Let's take just painting as an example. So I'm a bit of a Scottish Philistine, but even I can appreciate like a Cezanne hanging on the wall, right? But you can see that my appreciation is going to be nothing compared with an art expert, You know, like somebody who understands technique and the choice and use of colors and the focal point in the Cézanne painting. Do you you see where I'm going? Like the more we understand composition, I think in a sense, the deeper our appreciation will be. Now, you you can disagree with me on that. I'm happy for you to disagree with me on it. But I definitely think that's the case in Numbers chapter 6. Because it's a really short section of scripture you've got in front of you, isn't it? But I'm I'm keen for you to appreciate, it's just amazingly put together. Like it is just ingeniously, beautifully crafted. And if we just have even a superficial understanding of that, it, it brings us to a point of praise. So what am I talking about here? Okay, what am I talking about? first thing I want you to appreciate is the symbolism of the Aaronic blessing. The symbolism. So have a look at your page in front of you. Have a look at it. So just look at the blessing. What have you got in front of you? And let's just think about the symbolism here. Maybe you'll get it before I tell you what it is. So you have what? You've got this pronouncement from the priest. Or you've got this guarantee from God. Now, do you see that it's made up of three lines Do you notice that? So you've got verse 24, verse 25, verse 26. So you've got three lines. Now, how does each line begin? Do you see it? You have the Lord is the subject of each of the three lines. But that's grammatically unnecessary, isn't it? It could just be the Lord and then he and he. But it's not structured like that. It's structured, to emphasise this threefold pronouncement and the lord's name anyone get the symbolism here that threefold use of the lord's name has been seen throughout the church as a clear reference to our triune god do you see and father is lord son is lord holy spirit as lord do you see symbolism triune symbolism let's keep going with the idea of symbolism let's think about the number of words for a moment so uh, boys and girls You're in a hot seat at the moment, right? So you listen to me. You thought you did maths from Monday to Friday, right? Bad news. There's going to be maths on the Sunday as well. The heads go down, the eyes get rolled at the minister. Right, boys and girls, I want you to do the maths here, okay? So it's a simple sum. The rest of us can work with it. So in the Hebrew text... You've got one line with three words. Ready to do the math, boys and girls? One line of three words. Then a line of five words. Then a line of seven words. Are you doing the ma- maths? Three f- plus five plus seven? I'm not finished. Hang on. What did I just say to you? I said that the two of the names of the Lord are dramatically unnecessary. So you take those away, three plus five plus seven, take away those two words, How? what do you have? What's the number? I wonder if the rest of us get it. In this benediction that is to be pronounced not to the Nazarites, but to the whole of the Israelite camp, in the original Hebrew text, you have 12 words. Do you see it? This is a, a a clear parallel, a clear reference to the whole of the Israelite camp, twelve words in the twelve tribes of Israel. Do you see? So you have triune symbolism and then you have the people of Israel, their symbol. But okay. What else do we know about composition? We can see that this is beautifully crafted. What else do we know about composition? We also know this, do we not? That the Holy Spirit can use structure and composition in a portion of Scripture to highlight a main point. Isn't that right? That the Holy Spirit can use the structure of the composition to highlight a key theme. So I just want to play a game for a moment. Stick with me on this. Let me just highlight one or two elements of this and you try and see if you can establish the main theme here or a key theme. Okay, one or two extra details to notice. Notice the brackets here. So look at verse, the start of verse 24. Look at the start of verse 24. What does it say? What does God say? He says, he underlines, the Lord bless you. And then look how it ends in verse 27. Do you see it? Similar thing. The Lord says, I will bless them. So do you see it? There's maybe there's a theme beginning to occur, is there? Next thing I want you to, to notice is the emphasis in the text. So it doesn't really come out clearly in your Bible, in the English translation of the Bible, this. Um, but I need you to appreciate that the, the last phrase here, the one that I've just mentioned, where it says, I will bless you in the hebrew text the word i is emphatic so it's the holy spirit stresses the i so what's god saying there he's not saying to israel i will bless you what's he saying god is saying i will be the one to bless you i will bless you so we, we've seen the brackets say that then we've seen the emphasis say that and then I, the last detail here for us to think about is just to return to that repetition. Like you think about the structure of this blessing. Think about hearing it for the first time. What does Aaron say? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up this kindness. Surely it's the case that everyone in the room, every one of us, sees what is one, if not the main theme of Numbers chapter six. What is being shown to us here? What are we seeing? Surely it's this, that it is the Lord and he alone who can bring blessing. Isn't that one of the key themes of Numbers chapter 6? The theme that it is God and it is he alone who can bring true contentment and true satisfaction and true joy in life. Who brings the blessing? The Lord will bless. Now, I hope we can see as we look at that some of the intricacies and the beauty of the way that the Holy Spirit crafts the section of Scripture. But isn't it also the case that there is concrete application for us in that idea that it is the Lord who blesses? I mean that, first of all, for you in here who are not Christians. So is, is that you, someone in here who's not in this personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who's not born again? Is that you? Is it? A just really simple question for you if you're not trusting in Christ today. Why are you, why are you here? Um, I, I don't. Please don't get that wrong. I, I, obviously, I'm, we're delighted that you are here. But I want you to ask yourself, why are you in this place? Why are you at church? I mean, I mean surely you recognize it's because you see some need you have in your life. It might be that you see your need of greater friendships and deeper fellowship, and that's why you're here. It might be, and I pray, genuinely pray that it is, that you're here because you see your need to be saved and reconciled to God. But either way, isn't this message in number six really pertinent to your situation and to your life? Did you see what you've been confronted by this morning from God? Do you not see it? The idea that you can look anywhere you want for fulfillment. Like, you can look anywhere out there for satisfaction and joy, but do you know what you actually need to do to find that fulfillment? You need to come to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you, you need to bow. You need to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then you say, why? Why? Because you're seeing here, it is the Lord. And it is the Lord alone who can bring that blessing that you need. So there's the obvious application here for the person who is not a Christian... But if you are a Christian in here, right? And if you're born again and you're in Christ Jesus, don't you agree there's also pertinent application for you, for, for me? See, I've got this little detail that I absolutely love about this, this blessing. It's, uh, it's found in First Chronicles, which is, of course, a book we all know really well, right? First Chronicles. But in First Chronicles, we are told that these priestly benedictions were to be pronounced perpetually. Do you see the idea that actually on a daily, think about this, on a daily basis in the tabernacle, Aaron or his sons would stand up and they would pronounce that blessing. On a daily basis, God demands that this be pronounced to the people of Israel. Now, if you're a Christian, answer me, why does that have to happen? Like, why is it that God says this This has to be pronounced day after day, time and time. again. Why do you think that God wants that to happen? If you're a Christian, I think you know the answer. It's because we as the people of God are so quick to forget that it is God and God alone who brings true contentment to our lives. If you're a Christian, isn't that true of your life? I think of what we're we're saved, we're in Christ Jesus, and yet we're always, always looking to other things for true joy and true satisfaction, <laughs> And so many of us in this place are looking to relationships for that sort of joy. Like so many at London City Presbyterian Church look into a future marriage or a present marriage for that area of great satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. Guess what? That's the wrong place to look. And then there's lots of others in here and we are looking to our careers for that real satisfaction and joy. We're looking for recognition. With a promotion, advanced. That's what's going to fill my heart with joy. Guess what? Wrong place to look. And the rest of us, what we like, whether we like to admit it or not, we look into material things, aren't we? We're looking to the latest gadget or we're looking to the bigger house or we're looking to the faster car. We're thinking, that's what's going to be That's the satisfaction. That's the fulfillment. That's the joy. And what does God do here? Yet again, what does God do? In nearly every single word, every single phrase in this benediction, God confronts you with the truth as a Christian. Guess what? It is God and God alone who can bring you true and deep and proper satisfaction in life. And I think that should reset your compass as a Christian and my compass. Where should we look? We look to Jesus Christ. And why? What are we going to sing at the end of this service? Why do we look to Christ? He is the fount of every blessing. Gee, my heart sings praise. So we see the forgotten fount of blessing. Second of all, Uh, we see the escalating extent of the blessing. Okay, everyone got it? The escalating extent of the blessing. So everyone's with me. We've seen, no surprise, that God is the one from whom all blessings flow. The argument coming back at me, I reckon, is that we have to be a little bit more specific. So it's one thing to say God is the one who brings blessing, but we want to know, don't we? What type of blessing is guaranteed in Numbers chapter 6? What's the actual content of this blessing? Do you see? You've all heard of the British band, the British music group Mumford and Sons, right? I'm not asking you to be fans of Mumford and Sons, but most of you at least have heard of Mumford and Sons, yes? Okay, now what is it that famously marks their music out from, from everything else? Isn't it true that Mumford & Sons are renowned for the big build-ups, the big sort of uh, crescendos that they have in their music? Isn't that what's famously said about them? The cynic <laughs> could say that every song is the same. I didn't say that. But, you know, somebody might say that every Cause how does each song begins what? It's really quiet to start with hardly anything there's maybe just a voice and one guy with a guitar what happens then you know if you know the music suddenly the banjo comes in oh there's a surprise and uh, some more guitars and then drums come in and then it's just this rhythmic similar pattern and then there's this build, big development of noise and it keeps going and there's just this big massive crescendo towards the end right okay Mum for the sun's fine need you to understand the whole seriousness That's what you've got in front of you just now. Now, do you see it? You can see it, can't you? What you're dealing with is not just three separate lines of blessing in the Aaronic blessing. We've even just looked at it with the numbers. What did we say? A line of three words, five words, seven words. There's 15 consonants. Then the next blessing, there's 20 consonants. Then there's 25 consonants. Do you see the point? There is this big kind of growing build-up in number 6. There's this big escalation of blessing. This is what I want you to do, surprisingly. I want you to look at it. So look at verse 24. Do you see how it begins softly? It starts off and there is the promise to the people of Israel of protection from God. Look at it with me. Do you see the words? Think on the words. Think of it. Look at it. The Lord bless you and keep you does that ring bells with you i mean it should do i mean we've just sung psalm 121 which is really just an exegete an unpacking of that idea we've just sung about the same idea what's god promising there he's promising to keep his people from evil he's promising to keep his people safe and come on can you imagine hearing that in the camp think about what the people are just about to do I mean they're just about to travel up the promised land. Canaan. And they're just about to go across really, really difficult terrain. They're just about to go into hostile enemy territory. And what does God say to them? God says, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. He promises them to protect you. You can imagine, right? But here's the thing, here's the thought. Does that crescendo, that increase does it not just build up as we go in here because maybe if you're with me just now you can imagine the confusion in the camp in israel can you because you think about what adrian read earlier on do you remember do you remember the reading with the golden these are the same people who have just, just shortly before they have worshipped the golden calf. These are the very same people who have rebelled against God like this. And you can imagine them in the camp, hearing from Aaron for the first time, scratching their heads, thinking, how can God promise to bless us? Like, how can he even promise to protect us? You see them wondering? Look at the answer in verse 25. Because God now promises to make his face shine upon them and to be, what's the word? To make face shine upon them. And to be what? Do you see it? To be gracious to them. So that's the idea of a superior pouring out undeserved kindness on an inferior party. So do you see how the crescendo builds? It's not just protection. That's forgiveness. Do you see? God is now promising to forgive their sin. Now, you're with me, are you? We see this is escalating and the noise is deafening blessing at this point but i wonder this friends have you heard let's change tact have you heard of tchaikovsky's 1812 overture have you it's a far cry from mumford and sons isn't it tchaikovsky 1812 the americans in here know it surely because blank stares from my assistant minister here it's the tune that's very often used at the 4th of July to end the celebrations on the 4th of July. Tchaikovsky 1812. Do we know it? Yeah. Or no? Okay. Do we know how it ends? Tchaikovsky's 1812 overture is the one that ends with CANNON FIRE. If you're gonna write a piece of music, eh, that's, that's how you go out, isn't it? So cannon fire, or if not cannon kind of fire, fireworks. Then it builds up from this beautiful string start all the way through to G- cannon fire. Come on! Now I need you to appreciate again. That's what ha- that's what's happening in Numbers chapter six. Do you see what I'm saying to you? This is not just an increase, in escalating blessing. That God is bringing this blessing to this one gigantic, climactic note at the end. It's all building towards one note. Do you want to see what it is? Surely you do. Have a look at the end of verse 26. Do you see it? It's the Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you can of fire. Fireworks give you peace. Friends, do you, do you appreciate it? Do you see it? The Lord God here. Don't get it wrong. It's not the promise of just an absence of war or an absence of hostilities, not that sort of peace. This is a promise of a complete, holistic, inward and outward shalom from God. When you appreciate that is the ending, if you can picture the joy, can't you, in the Israelite camp, to hear this from Aaron? The so Lord bless you and keep you through to peace. This is what I struggle with, this is what I wonder. Should these words right here, every time we hear them, whether it's in a baptism or at the end of a service, should these words here not bring you as a Christian greater joy? I mean these people they saw it in types, didn't they? They saw it in foreshadows. We stand this side to Calvary, the right side of Calvary in a sense we can appreciate what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. What has God secured for you? You hear it? What has he done? The Lord bless you and keep you. Upon you this morning, Christian friends, is the protective hand of the almighty God, now and forevermore. First Peter t- says this about you, that you are being, we are being guarded, guarded by God through faith, for a salvation that is to be revealed. Lord bless you, and he he keeps you. This is a guarantee of that. And what else is true of you and me? We have been saved. How, friends? By grace. Like this same undeserved favor from a superior has been lavished upon you and upon me. And where does it all to what where does it all build up to what's the final dramatic climactic word at the end you and i have received the peace of almighty god through the death and resurrection of the lord jesus christ you a sinner me a sinner we know today and we will know forever Evermore by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the full, complete, the gospel, shalom of God. Aren't you with me? Isn't the blessing a, an amazing thing to hear? You are poof, can of fire. You are fireworks. You are at peace with God. Forget Mum and Sons, right? Forget Tchaikovsky. Is number six, not the greatest song we've ever heard? So we see the forgot fount of blessing, then we see the escalating extent of blessing, and then the last thing this morning is we see the limitless love of the blessing, the limitless love of the blessing. And um, We've seen the source of the blessing, we've seen the scale of it. Um, I think there's a really fascinating last detail um, to mention about this blessing, and it's this. It sounds strange, I'm sure, but please hear it. That this blessing is both corporate and it is individual. Are you with me on that idea? It's both corporate and it's individual. Now, what do I mean? Yes, it is to be announced. Do you notice it's so I'm saying to you that this blessing is corporate and individual. Get that. Listen to it. This is a blessing that is to be pronounced to the whole camp. So it's corporate. What I need you to understand and think about, even for yourself is that each of the you's, the Lord bless you and keep you, that each of the you's in this portion of Scripture are are singular. Do you see the idea? So God is pronouncing this blessing to all of Israel, but each of these blessings are made to the individuals in the camp as well. Do you see that idea, both corporate and individual? Now, if you are with me and you just rest on that just for a second and you think about this fact... That this is a blessing that's not just made to London City Presbyterian Church. Not, not just, it's made to you individually. If you think about that, what's your abiding impression from Numbers chapter 6? All of these blessings made to you a sinner in Christ. What, what, is it not, just now, the impression that God must love you so much to, to give you these blessings? Isn't that it? To give you that personally? Do you see how much God must love you? If not, look, look, at, look at the function of this blessing. Look at verse 27 here. Like, do, do you see verse 27? Like, what, what function does this blessing play? Do you see it? God says, this is how the people shall put their name on upon them. Put his name upon them. Now you see that, do you? Like we've all driven past a field of sheep. And we all know how it is that a farmer marks the sheep as belonging to him. Have we all done that? You've seen the sheep and they'll have a blue mark on their fleece or a red mark on the fleece. So you drive past cattle, right? And they're branded with a special mark. Did you see it? Do you see? How is it that God marks you? How does he mark us as belonging to him? Do you see it? Is it with ink? Is it with branding? God marks us as his by blessing our lives spiritually for what love he marks you as his by blessing you if you're still not convinced that God loves you greatly, work up, look at verse 26 look at the attention he gives you you must have thought this was a strange expression did you? God lifts up his countenance upon you does that sound strange to you? lift up a countenance elsewhere in scripture so uh, Genesis uh, 43 Psalm chapter Psalm number four, that expression, lift up a countenance upon you, is that moment where a person suddenly gives their attention, becomes attentive to another person. You can see it, the dads in the room. You can imagine it with a dad in the room, and they're at the dining table, and they're head down in the sport pages. Or they're on their phone looking at the sport. And then there's that moment where their kid's is like, Dad, 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 dad. And what happens? Eventually what happens? Eventually the dad looks up and he looks over and he pays his child out of love and commitment. He pays the child heed. Do you Christian friends see the idea? That is what God is guaranteeing to do with you. He guarantees you in number six, his attention. God lifts up his countenance to you. And again, if you're still not convinced that God loves you, lastly, look at verse 25, because everyone in the room knows this expression, don't you? Because God says that he will make his face shine upon you. Make his face shine upon you. What does that mean? Well, everyone's seen the the YouTube videos, the reunion videos on YouTube. You have, haven't you? You know when a dad who's in military service, he's been away in Afghanistan or somewhere, and he comes back after many, many, many months, and he's going to be reunited with his kid. And they set it up in the YouTube videos, don't they? Don't they? Where the kid doesn't know anything about it, and the kid's maybe at school, and the dad's hiding in the wings. But what happens... Not seen his kid for months, maybe even a year, what happens, even if the kid doesn't see him. What happens if, when the dad sees through the curtain and he sees his kid for the first time? You know what happens, right, don't you? His face lights up. Does't it? His face begins to begins to glow, and now you see it, don't you? Isn't it credible? That's what happens with God. This is an expression of divine delight in his people. What does God promise He makes his face? To shine upon you. Friends, surely in Numbers chapter 6, if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, surely you see that God loves you. But maybe it's the case that you are in the pits today. Maybe you are in deep despair as a Christian. And maybe you're thinking, no, I cannot see that God loves me. I will end with this. One last place you must look as a Christian to see how much God loves you. Where do you look? You look to the cross. And if you look there, I need you to appreciate what happens at Golgotha. What yes. happens at the cross? Do you know what God has done? God has taken Numbers chapter 6 at the cross. And it has been for you completely reversed and inverted upon his son for you. Let me ask you this. At Calvary, did the father bless and keep his son? And you look to me and you say, no, no. There, the Lord Jesus Christ was cursed and left. And I ask you, there at Calvary, did the Lord lift up his countenance upon the Lord Jesus Christ and give him peace? And you say, no, surely, at the cross, what happened? That there was conflict, not peace. There was wrath. And then the last one is the most obvious one, isn't it? I ask you at the cross, did the Lord make his face, did the Father make his face shine upon his Son? And you say, no, there was no shining, there was no light, there was utter darkness at Calvary. Why? Because the Father turned his face away. Are you a Christian doubting that Jesus loves you, doubting that God loves you today? You need to look at the cross. There you will see the same truth as Numbers chapter 6. That God's fixed eternal purpose is to pour out blessing upon His church, upon His people, regardless of the cost. As this blessing must have inspired the people of Israel in that camp for their journey, surely it will be the same for us. We can go out into this world, can we not? Knowing with greater certainty, greater clarity, God claimed you in Christ. God marks you in your life by blessing. And we surely see that God loves his people so much in Christ. What has God done? Can of fire? Fireworks? What has God done for you in Christ Jesus? He has given us his eternal peace. Friends, let us bow our heads and let us pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your uh, fixed eternal purpose to bless your people. We thank you for what you done for us uh, by your uh, grace. Uh, We do thank you that you pour out blessing upon us. We thank you that this is a guarantee of your gracious and merciful work. And we do pray, Lord, keep us humble and that you would work in us for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.